0: For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, your host of Everything op Welcome this Thursday morning. The sun is up. We're up. Everything is great this morning. You know, um, this is the year that NCBA is celebrating their 100th anniversary. They've been on corporate 100 years, started March of 1916 when you could buy a loaf of bread for $0.05. Cents. It went up to $0.07 cents by the end of 1916, and you could buy a T-model Ford for $300. Things have uh, gone up a little bit in that time frame. But co-ops have been around a long time because they were here before 1916. This NCBA was an organization that came together where all of the different, that represented all of the different sectors of cooperatives. It was called Clusa in the beginning. They changed their name to NCBA Clusa later on. This is also Cooperative Month, and just tell you really quickly the documentary Food for Change is being aired throughout the U.S. at different locations. And Everything Co-op is hosting an airing of that show on October 31st at 6 p.m. at Busboys and Poets on 5th and K Street Northwest. So you could go to Eventbrite and sign up for that. It's only about 90 seats. They're going really quickly. So please, if you want to come and see that airing to see how co-ops are helping the food and changing the way foods are produced. Today, I'm excited because we have Mr. Rodrigo Govila from the International Cooperative Alliance, ICA, who's their director of policy. He's housed right here in Washington, D.C. Good morning, uh, Rodrigo. Good
1: Good morning. How are you this morning? I'm good, thanks.
0: Okay, so I'm glad you were able to come in this morning. I'm thinking your mic may not be working. He may come in and change your mic. Keep talking. Hello, Vernon. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. It's working. Good. Great. Glad you're here this morning.
1: And you guys just had a summit. Correct. We are co-hosts of uh, the International Summit of Cooperatives, along with the Desjardins Group uh, from Canada. And the summit uh, just took place last week in uh, Quebec City. Did you go? I did, yes. Okay.
0: Well, I'm looking at a preliminary report on it, and it seemed like you all covered a lot of different areas of declaration, and I doubt if we could cover it all in an hour, but I would like to cover as much of it as we can. For those of you out there, cooperatives are any business you could think of. Just real quickly, if it's owned and controlled by the employees, it's called a worker cooperative. If it's owned and controlled by the people that uses the products and services, it's called a consumer cooperative. And a couple other co-ops, particular farmers and artists use and then others, is they come together and they buy their products and services together and sometimes equipment, and it's called a purchasing cooperative. And also, see, same groups can come together, any group can come together, and they market their products and services. Farmers do that so that then the farmers can spend their time in producing the food, taking care of the soil and everything, and they have a cooperative, buying the products and services that they need, normally getting a better price and a better quality product, and then they have another group selling their uh, marketing. They get more markets and, therefore, get a better price and have more markets to sell their goods. So that's what the main four co-ops are, and this is talking about the international cooperatives, and I found out that there are in a number of parts of the world co-ops play a bigger role than they do here in the United States. How many cooperatives do you all estimate there are in in the world?
1: Well, according to uh, some figures uh, from a United Nations study, there are about 2.5 million uh, cooperative enterprises around the world. 2.5 million.
0: And how many people or members do you think there are? 2.5 million cooperatives.
1: Yes, there are uh, about 1.3 billion uh, people. Where are uh, members of cooperatives
0: around the world? 1.3 billion. That's a B, the big B, not the M. But, that's correct. Okay, and how many? Uh, 1.3 billion people, out of how many billions of people are there in the U.S. and the
1: world now? There are seven billion people.
0: Seven billion people with 1.3.
1: Um, that's
0: not. Is that 20 percent? So there's a lot of people belong to cooperatives in around the world. And you talk about 15% of the global economies made up from the
1: cooperatives? Uh, yes, well, the annual revenue, for example, of the largest uh, 300 cooperatives alone is 2.5 trillion US dollars, which is more or less the equivalent of the GDP of the fifth largest economy in the world. So. If you take it all together, yes, that's the kind of number we're we're looking at.
0: Can you give me that number again? How many in sales, the top 300 cooperatives in the world? is how much? So
1: the 300 largest cooperatives have annual revenues of 2.5 trillion U.S. dollars.
0: That's the T, the trillion dollars. That's the. 2.5 trillion dollars. Yes. And that's the, that's the size of the fifth largest economy. Yes, what approximately. Country, what country
1: is that? Uh, At the moment, I think it's France. Okay.
0: So it's pretty big. We don't think of it as being that big. At least, again, I only heard about co-ops about 20 years ago, and that's when I started managing housing co-ops. And that's how I got into this, uh, Rodrigo, was just managing housing co-ops and seeing how those housing co-ops managed by everyday people, sometimes uh, most often without a college degree, perhaps at most a high school degree, and they could manage this business and do it extremely well. So I got really turned on to this, this cooperative model. Uh, how did you get started in this co-op world?
1: Well, I'm Portuguese, and uh, in my hometown in Portugal, a town called Stubal, which is more or less uh, 30 miles south of Lisbon, uh, there was this uh, food co-op. And I started volunteering to go there when I finished uh, college. I studied law. And as a lawyer, I started volunteering to go there every week, uh, one day a week, uh, to give uh, free legal advice to uh, the consumer members of that uh, co-op as a way to give something back to the community. And I kind of fell in love with the cooperative idea. I did I start, too. I, I did started too. getting involved. And uh, all of a sudden, I was spending more time in the cooperative than in my legal office. And uh, that's... um how it all came about.
0: Okay, so out of college, out of law school, you started volunteering at a food co-op. And a food co-op is one example of this uh, consumer cooperative. If it's owned by the members that, that buys the products and services, if it's owned by the workers, then it's, it's a, a employees, it's called a worker cooperative. So you, you were working at a consumer co-op, this food co-op in Portugal, volunteering. Right and you fell in love with co-ops
1: why why well i thought that uh, it was really a good model of enterprise it it was the right way of doing business it was people centered it offered people the opportunity uh, to um, to express their ideas to participate to get involved it was a, a democratic it was a, a values based organization all the things that we know about co-ops, well, uh, they, they are true. They are not just uh, in the books. Uh, I experienced that uh, while working there. And I felt that, well, that's probably the way that most things should be. Uh, it's this way. And so, I, as I said, I started get, getting involved uh, in different projects. At the time, for example, of the transition of the national currencies to the euro, uh, in Europe, I, I was responsible for the training of all the, the co-op staff to be able to manage that transition. Uh, I, I started also uh, developing some environmental uh, projects for the, the food shops. And the more I got involved, the more I learned to, to like it. I also started working in uh, in different expert groups at European level the sector organization for food co-ops which is called Eurocoop uh, which then later on I became secretary general of and well one thing led to another and here I am uh, <laughs> almost 20 years later
0: and you're working for ICA International Cooperative Alliance now right okay and Dane Pauline Green, who was the chairman of that organization, uh, has been on the program. She was quite, quite good. It was great talking to her. So, what what were some of the things that you all talked about at this summit in Quebec?
1: Well, during the summit, we discussed many issues. So it was a a full day, a three days of intense discussions with big name speakers with uh, lots of contributions from uh, uh, different participants we had almost uh, 3000 participants from more than 100 countries in the world so it it was uh, I, I, I it would probably take much more than an hour just to say all the things that we talked about but uh, i i'd like to um, maybe focus on uh, the, the the final day of the summit which was dedicated entirely to the United Nations the Sustainable Development Goals, these are a set of 17 goals that the countries at the United Nations agreed last year, and it's um, these are goals towards sustainable development uh, until 2030, the year 2030. It's called the Agenda for Sustainable Development, and. The last day of the summit we focused on that and it was really interesting to uh, learn how in different sectors and different cooperatives in different countries are working towards achieving some of those goals and some of them are, uh, for example, ending poverty or uh, uh, ending hunger or gender equality. And so it was a, a very interesting uh, last day. So three
0: days in Quebec, 3,000 participants or more in over 100 countries. That seemed like that's a lot of people coming together to talk about cooperatives, and you end up looking at the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. You know, we're going to have to take our first break in a minute, but some of these goals that the UN has, there's 17 of them, no poverty is the first one, uh, no hunger, good health and well-being is the third one, Quality education, gender equality, clean water and sanitation is number six, affordable and clean energy, number seven, decent work and economic growth, number eight, industry innovation, number nine, reduce inequality or equality, sustainable cities and, and communities, responsible consumption and production. Number 13 is climate action, lights, Below the water is 14, life on land is 15. Number 16 is peace, justice, and strong institutions. And then partnerships for these codes. We're going to come back and talk about these and what you all talked about that last day. When we come back, we're going to take our first break to get the weather, the news, and the traffic. Please don't touch that dial. We're looking at the world and the effects of co-ops on it. 1450 W O L. Information is power. That's WOL's motto, and this is why the National Cooperative Bank is sponsoring this program to give you the information that you can use to have power. You know, information by itself doesn't give you the powers, It's when you put action to the information is where you get the power, the action. And what was happening in Quebec last week was talking about how cooperatives are sort of situated right now. They're poised now to go into action to help the UN sort of meet these goals, these 17 goals. And that's from what I have read in their declaration, their preliminary declaration, it's all about action. That's where the power comes in. And uh, during the break, I was just telling Rodrigo, uh, I want to get straight on, we're talking about seven billion people today, but what's the forecast for how many people will be in the future?
1: Uh, around 9 billion people in uh, 2050. That's the uh, forecast.
0: So 2 billion more people, 28 to 30 percent increase. That's right. And the number of people in the world by 2050, you said? Yes, 50 20... years. So 2050 is 34 more years. So in 34 more years, uh, let's just say a 30 percent increase in the number of people. That's
1: correct, yes. Boy, we're gonna need a lot more electricity and housing and
0: food. and food.
1: Yes, especially food. That's going to be one of the major challenges uh, for our world. Is how do we feed nine billion people? Uh, the the Food and Agricultural Organization of the United Nations estimates that we need. To increase our food production by sixty percent. Wait, wait, six zero percent. Yes, that's that's so, right.
0: So twenty-eight. I say thirty percent increase in people caused us to have to
1: increase food by sixty percent. Sixty percent to be able to feed everyone—the uh, nine billion people
0: that we are. Well, I understand from reading some of the, the information that one, perhaps, one of the reasons it seemed like if we had 30 percent increase in people, we'd only have to increase food by twenty-eight or thirty percent.
1: Yes, but we have to take into account. Well, first of all, that today we're not feeding everyone Uh, that exists. Uh, That's one thing. Uh, And secondly, uh, the the more the population grows, also their demand for uh, food uh, changes, and 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 the 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 type of of in the quantity that is necessary for a bigger population also increases.
0: So so, it's like 800 million people Go unnourished today And I would imagine that's why we have a lot of kids Uh, I read that 30,000 kids A day die
1: Is that what I I read? That's possible, I don't have that number in my head But uh, Mm -hmm. yes uh, There is a, a huge problem about Not only hunger Which is not having enough to eat But also about Malnutrition Which is not eating The right things. Uh, and that's why we need such an increase of, of um, food production. That's a major challenge. <clears throat>
0: increase production of food by 60%. Okay. So food security is one of the things that came out of, of this last day. There were five things in reading this preliminary declaration. So what do you expect co-ops can do with food security? What
1: Right, Um, I I think that cooperatives have a fundamental role in uh, helping to find solutions for this problem. First of all, because at the farm level, uh, if you look at the farmers, there are a, a huge number of small holders, family farmers, that if they come together in a cooperative, they immediately have the resources to increase their production, to be more efficient in what they do, and also to increase their revenues. So cooperatives, first and foremost, are a way of aggregating people at the production side uh, to be able to produce more. Uh, That's one thing. But we don't just need to produce more because with the challenge of climate change, if, if you put climate change into this equation, You'll also have to be able to produce more with less resources, or with more uh, in more difficult uh, circumstances. And you can do that better if you do it together. And that's what cooperatives are all about. You uh, you can only explore the potential of all these smallholder farmers, all these family farmers. Uh, you can only explore their potential if you bring them together in some sort of organization and the cooperative model is ideal to do so so that's one of the things that cooperatives can do uh, another thing is in in many countries uh, like the us or, or or canada you already have uh, very large uh, agricultural uh, cooperatives and and those cooperatives they can help uh with technology with with uh new scientific methods they can help bring food production uh again not not necessarily to increase it but to be more efficient in the way they that it is produced and also more climate smart agriculture which means producing uh food products without a large impact on the environment
0: you know i've i've um had a couple, uh, probably more like half a dozen people on this program talking about <clears throat> exactly what you were saying. We we've had several people from the Federation of Southern Cooperatives, which it started in the civil rights movement in the nineteen sixties, middle sixties, of black farmers in the South coming together, their small farms. One of the things they wanted to make sure they kept their land, uh and, and by coming together, again we can they, they could buy their products together. They got knowledge. And then I the first year, three years ago in October, we had a guy named Papa Sin on the program who worked for NCBA in Senegal and Ghana. And uh, he was talking about how the farmers there, you could tell the the farmers that were in the co-op compared to the ones that were not. And he said he visited one farmer in the co-op, and right across the street, the farmer's products uh, on the vine were look like they look wilted. They did, were not as fresh and and vibrant as the farmer in the co-op because they got the knowledge of how to produce the products better. So exactly what you talk about, I've experienced in talking to people here that the co-op by coming together they to get more knowledge, which is the fifth principle information, knowledge and training. And that was the other reason I love co-ops was about training people about how to have a better business and how to run a business. Um, uh, And so everything that you're talking about, we've had on this program over the last three years, and it's the benefit of cooperation. Get knowledge, work together, get capital, have better products, perhaps more products, but if not more products, at least better product. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, that seems like that's what food, what co-ops could do for food security. Um, What are some of the, the goals or expect to accomplish here. Uh,
1: So uh, let me, before going into the goals, let me just add uh, as a piece of information that we as the the International Cooperative Alliance, we have a memorandum of understanding with the Food and Agricultural Organizations of, of of the UN. Uh, and within that agreement, we we work closely with the FAO in in trying to promote the cooperative model in agriculture uh, all over the world. Uh, so it's it's a part of what we do is is to try that in in different countries uh, that the governments are aware that there is an enabling environment that people uh, invest in cooperatives because we feel it's it's really. Uh, it's it's really uh, a model that can help find the solutions uh, towards those uh, those challenges.
0: And it seems like uh, what you are what you're talking about is with the United Nations goals of having no hunger, no poverty, good health. This this sort of this fits in with what the UN wants to do. So I would imagine U.N. would really embrace this summit and what's come out of this summit.
1: Uh, right. Uh, w- w- maybe you can even say that the cooperative model is probably the only uh, movement in the world uh, in terms of enterprises that has uh, deliberately and, and explicitly accepted the U.N. Sustainable Development Goals and said – we we want to uh contribute to this uh, for example we've we have created a an online platform called co ops for twenty thirty where uh co ops can go and publicly express their commitments towards sustainable development until the year twenty thirty uh for example things like we want to uh, reduce the waste uh, that we send to landfill or we want to reduce our carbon emissions or we want to uh, help uh, farmers in uh, certain communities to uh, to increase their, their, their productivity, uh, all those types of things.
0: It's fantastic. This is uh, a major, major issue looking at 7 billion people today going to 9 billion people by 2050 and needing 60% more food and how co-ops can help that solve that particular problem for the world's population. We're taking our second break. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial, and we'll come back and talk about more of the things that came out of the summit. This is Vernon Oaks for everything.coop. You know, you could go get information about uh, our past programs on everything.coop. And you could also see the information about the uh, sharing of the, the showing of the documentary Food for Change. So if you want to find out what's going on in the cooperative world, go to everything.coop. And you could get that information. You know, if you look, listen to the uh, debate last night, the third and final presidential debate, you would see that a lot of the things that w- that the Cooperative uh, uh, Alliance, International Cooperative Alliance, discussed in the summit was uh, discussed in that debate, uh, ending poverty, uh, hunger, uh You get into all of the different things that the U.N. are talking about, Was discussed in that debate last night. So we really ask you to get out and vote. One of the things that the cooperators learn firsthand is the importance of voting. Uh, The second principle of a cooperative is democracy, Uh, one member, one vote, so that um, nobody has... Uh, all of the power Uh, each member is we the people and that's another reason that I love this cooperative model and once somebody gets into cooperative model they learn how important these elections are and I've talked about a book uh, Cities Building Wealth and in reading that book I really got how important the how important the uh, every two year elections are who the governors and who are in the city councils and in the Board of Education, voting for them because they're the ones in each of the cities that really impact uh, what goes on in those cities and whether or not wealth is being built in those cities for the everyday person, which is one of the, the benefits of being in a cooperative are. So Mr. Rodrigo from the International Cooperative Alliance is with us. He's their director of policy uh, right here in the DC area. So the other area we talked about um, food security, which is a major issue, going from seven billion people to nine billion people by the year 2050. But also employment, which is a huge issue in the in the debate. But um, so tell me about what what the world is like under employment. Is are, everybody got a job around the world?
1: Unfortunately, not. that's not the case. As you know, uh, uh, un- in unemployment is, is also one of the, the biggest challenges uh, in the world, and especially youth unemployment. Um, uh, most young people today, uh, they finish their degrees, uh, they go into the uh, uh, employment market, and, and they can't find a job and uh as someone once said uh, there's nothing more dangerous than uh, a, a young person uh, with nothing to do um and and it, it's it's really a big challenge uh and i feel that uh, cooperatives again uh can can offer uh, solutions uh, to this uh first of all because cooperatives um Offer a way for people to come together, uh, to be entrepreneurs, to be uh, to build their own uh, business, to, to create their own employment. That's one of the ways that uh, cooperatives uh, can help. Uh, but also because uh, there have been uh, several studies that show that cooperatives offer um, more sustainable and decent employment. Uh, and for example, in times of crisis, uh, cooperatives are more resilient and better at at maintaining and and even uh, in in some countries, uh, even creating jobs when the rest of the economy is is doing the opposite. Uh, for example, there was this uh, study done uh, in in Spain where uh, in in two thousand and twelve at the peak of unemployment where a record uh, level of unemployment in Spain uh, cooperatives were creating new jobs unlike uh, the rest of the economy uh, so once again um, cooperatives can offer the, uh, a part of the solution. It's, it's not the whole solution. I'm, I'm not going to say this is a panacea for uh, all the problems in the world, but uh, it, it's part of the solution. And for example, uh, we, we also have a memorandum of understanding with the International Labour Organization where they even have a dedicated co-op unit uh, w- within the International Labour Organization, and where they work uh, also with us in terms of bringing people together to form their own cooperatives and, and to, um, by in that way, not only creating jobs, but also improving the quality of their jobs. And another... Issue where cooperatives have been uh, very active and and are uh, um, have a, a major role to play is the transition of uh, the informal uh, to the formal economy. So we know there are many people that work within the informal economy, and 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 their situation is very precarious. Uh, Sometimes it's even uh, they are uh, abused uh, uh, because of that situation, and uh, by organizing themselves into cooperatives, they find a way uh, to make a transition to the formal economy where they can be uh, legal workers. They can uh, pay their taxes, they contribute to the uh, to the society like uh, anyone else, and, and escape. Uh, sometimes uh, situations of abuse and violence and slavery and, and so on. And there are uh, different uh, projects around the world um, uh, that, that help these people uh, transition to a, a formal uh, economy with uh, jobs and uh, decent jobs. And most importantly, through a cooperative, you give people uh, – you put their future in their hands – uh, for example, if you if you form a a, a worker uh, cooperative, where well, the the workers are the owners of the enterprise, it's in it's in their hands their their own future. They don't need to um, uh, say they uh, they are not at the mercy of of sometimes uh, people that exploit them.
0: Not at the mercy of the. Uh plantation owner or the slave owner i i got it and one of the things that a at a local uh co-op uh, uh, greenbelt homes they have a plaque that says that cooperatives gives people the tools to control their destiny and that's what fits into what you're saying is that um if you're in a cooperative then you you have the knowledge and the education to help yourself i also like to talk about that co-op in illiterate prisons um in, in Italy, there's a co-op, a bakery. That they have people inside the prison that works in the bakery, and they have people outside of the prison that are not in the justice system working in this cooperative, and they make breads and pastries and things, and they won a, a an award in Italy for some of the work that they did. And the one of the outcomes was that the people that worked in this prison, only about 3% return, the recidivism rate, What's much lower if, you, if they weren't in this bakery. There's like 60 to 70 percent recidivism rate. That people coming back, they get out and they come right back, and that's the same thing that happens here in the U.S. 50 to 70 percent of the people that get out, it's a revolving door. They get out and they end up doing something because they don't have the skills that you learn in the in the bakery in the co-op. You, this education, you learn how to work, how to get along, how to how to resolve conflict. There's going to be conflict how to resolve the conflict, and how to how to produce together, working together. So I find co-ops can help in all kinds of different ways. I really like you saying that young people can, can come together and create their own business. Uh, it can solve that problem of unemployment. And you said that young people with nothing to do, I mean, it reminds me of what my mother used to say, an idle mind is the devil's workshop. Uh, if you don't have anything up there to do, you're not in school or whatever, and too often... That's what happens in the black community here, in the African-American community. You have all of these young people that have no work. I think they talk about 50, 60% unemployment rate for young people, uh, and they're not in school. And, and too often they don't have the college education, they don't have a job, and then they get into trouble. And so this, this getting people to work would also help with reducing crime. It seems It's interesting how it all works together and flows together. And co-ops has a has a really function in there to help people to create their own jobs and create their own destinies. Yes, like and
1: it. and there's another issue, if I may, related also to the question of employment, uh, which is migration. Um, you see, as a result of wars, but also as a result of, uh, of climate change, you see an increasing movement of people. Uh, of migrants from from several parts of the world. So uh, probably, if you watch the news, you may think that it's only uh, because of the uh, Syrian war, but it's not. It's it's in various parts of the world there are huge migration of people, and 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 these people need support. These these people need help, and and the cooperative uh, model is one of the ways where. You can help these people um, in integrating into uh, the, the places where they, uh, the new places where they go, uh, and there are also um, some experiences, many of them uh, conducted by the ILO, on creating uh, cooperatives within the refugees' uh, communities, so that people again have something to do, have a job, have. Um, a way to integrate themselves uh, in, in, in society.
0: Yes, co-ops can have a really wonderful way. And I, I like this sort of um, helping to bridge this gap, this sort of the, this widening gap that happens throughout the world. We, we've talked about on the program in the U.S. where you have the billionaires, the one percenters, if you will, that are getting 57% of all new wealth. And that leaves about 43% for the rest of us that we have to divide up. And so this gap between the haves and the have-nots is just getting bigger and bigger, and it's all over the world. But getting uh, people to, to work and when people move, the migration I was thinking about was from the south to the north, which blacks had here in the U.S. Now some are going back to the south. But is how do you get these jobs, particularly in the inner cities here in the U.S.? But it's all over the world when people are moving from country to country. Yeah, it's it's quite 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 interesting. Now the next one is access to health care and in social services, and that seems to, to work just like employment and um, um, and food security. The, the more health the better health quality you can get, the better people can survive. So what is what are some of the outcomes there?
1: Well, uh, you can look at health, access to health in, in two ways. Uh, not only access to the, the services, and, and for example, you may have cooperatives that of doctors that provide you with, with the services, uh, doctors and also of users. We call them multi-stakeholder cooperatives, but where uh, the health professionals and the users and sometimes the public institutions come together and create co-ops to improve the quality of the services and the access of the services. Another aspect of that is the financial access to uh, services and through cooperative insurance, for example, uh, cooperatives are working to enlarge the access of populations to, to health services. You
0: know, I'm glad you we talk about insurance because that gets to Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act where 20 million people, Americans have, have health care. And it will be the same thing. How do we get this around the world? But we'll have to take our final break. and We only have one more segment to go. We have a lot that we could talk about. Rodrigo, it was great having this conversation with you. But we'll get the news of weather and the traffic, and we'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. 1450 WOL. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. The program is Everything Cooperative, and we're talking about the benefits of cooperatives, particularly as it relates to the world, to the world population, which is now about 7 billion, going to about 9 billion in 2050, and we need to increase food by 60%. percent we have talking about health care right before we took the break, and right now we're going to talk about the fourth uh, area that was discussed at the uh, International Alliance Economic uh, Summit in their summit, and it's poverty eradication and financial inclusion. So what does it look like, Rodrigo, around the world with poverty and financial inclusion, particular financial inclusion? How many people have credit or banking accounts?
1: Right. Again, one of the major challenges uh, in the world, there there are about, uh, if my memory serves me correctly, there are about 2 billion people who have uh, no access to financial services um they can't have a bank account they have no way of uh, making payments they have no credit and, and 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 this is a big problem this is a big problem and
0: 2 billion people out of 7 billion people don't have checking accounts or bank
1: accounts or right no, no access to financial services um now wow. living in a country like the US this may seem and uh, uh, un- Unthinkable, uh, but there are many countries where uh, large portions of the population do not simply do not have access to uh, to these services. And what the um, the private sector, the non cooperative uh, uh, part of the private sector does is they they tend to only offer these uh, solutions, financial uh, services, to parts of the population where they can get their return. Now, cooperatives uh, think differently, and uh, once again, this is how they can provide some solutions to these uh, challenges, because a cooperative is not about uh, maximizing profit or, or making sure that you get your return as an investor, but rather... Uh, to uh, serve the needs of the people. So uh, if people come together uh, in co-ops and and create their own financial institutions uh, that they control and manage, that they own democratically, uh, they can have access to services that they wouldn't be able uh, to have otherwise. Uh, And... If you look at the U.S., for example, it's the case of the, uh, the credit unions in the U.S. and in many other countries, they serve that role, uh, especially, for example, in, in 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 populations like like farmers, where. Uh, it was difficult to have access to credit and therefore uh, difficult to, to invest, to grow their businesses. It was a credit union movement, and it still is, uh, that, that was really the motor of of uh, financial inclusion uh, in this country and in many other countries around the world. And so we we need to make sure that governments are aware of this and we need to make sure that they create the... The enabling environment, the policy environment, the legal environment in those countries, necessary for these uh, cooperatives to 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 uh, to grow and to develop.
0: The credit unions we've had them on the program uh, that first month three years ago. Harriet May, who became one of the Hall of Famers, was the president of of a credit union in El Paso, Texas, and she started out as a as on a counter. Uh, you know, working at the right at the counter, cashing checks and so forth. So she became the president, and she said that uh, five people came together because they didn't have these financial services in El Paso, Texas in 1935 or 45, whenever they started. Five people came together, and they were all men. They came together and they put a $5 each. It started with $25, and now they have over $1 billion of assets and they make loans and build houses and whether people want to buy computers or cars or whatever they want. And they have checking accounts with lower, normally lower fees uh, than a, a bank would have better services with lower fees. So yeah, they could really, really help uh, eradicate poverty by have just having services and being able to have access to credit or a checking account. Yeah. I, two billion people though. That's two sevenths. Again, that's, Twenty nine percent of the world's population don't have it. It yeah, doesn't seem right, and I know, again, because I managed property that, and normally on the section eight, southeast Washington D.C. Ward seven, Ward eight, that I do have people that don't have uh, checking accounts, uh, and they have to go buy mm-hmm. um, money orders, uh, have to pay their go go pay their bills. Uh, and they don't have checking accounts, don't have credit cards, and it makes it, the world a lot different. Uh, today I almost don't pay with credit cards. Everything is done online. And I think that's the way the world is going, and these people will be out, these 2 billion people. Well, the fifth area is climate change and sustainable development. Now... You've talked about climate change already and and the effects it will have on producing this food with major swift changes in heat, for instance, or hurricanes or tsunamis or whatever in just producing food. But you really believe there's climate change? Because there's some people in in the U.S. that don't believe that there's really climate change.
1: Well, Vernon, unfortunately, it's not a question of belief. Uh, you may not believe it. But <laughs> it's still. I can't
0: believe nobody don't believe it. I just yes. I have a hard time believing it.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> it, it, it's it's there. I mean, and I don't want to talk about the Republicans. I don't uh, want to get there, but I just can't believe it. Um, as I say, it's not a question of belief. Uh, climate change does exist. It's been caused by... By us, by human by activity. Yeah. And if we don't start uh, controlling it, and if we don't get really, really serious about, about controlling it, it will have devastating effects. You see, every year, every year, the uh, extreme phenomena of uh, related to climate gets more extreme. So people think, well, climate change, that's a good thing, right? Because we have milder winters and everyone can go to the beach in, in December. So what's wrong with that? Well, it's not like that. It doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. What climate change does, the, the global uh, warming, uh, what it does, it it reduces the, the amount – it changes all the water cycles – uh, because in in the summer it will get hotter, so there will be less water, so there will be more uh droughts, but then it 's going to rain more because evaporation is bigger, and so you will have more rain more uh thunder, more snow in the winter and and more uh, and colder temperatures, so the extremes increase and and that 's very dangerous and and w- with climate comes. Many issues, like I, I told about food security, it's going to be much harder to produce food because you will lose uh, uh, um, large amounts of production due to climate-related incidents. Uh, it will cause problems in health because it will bring new diseases and diseases that you will only find in certain climates will, will start expanding food. You can see with Zika and uh, all the all, uh, mosquito-related diseases. You can see it already now, uh, and it will cause problems with with uh, energy and the way we use things. Uh, and it's it's really a cross-cutting issue that we need to address. So, what what is, how does Co-op help this problem, or how to help to resolve this particular problem? Right. Again, cooperatives are not sufficient to find all the solutions for this problem. This this is a, a huge problem that concerns everyone. It concerns governments, cooperatives, other enterprises. It concerns individuals. But what, what, what cooperatives can – where cooperatives can have a real added value in this fight against climate change is that they have uh, – a long-term perspective, a longer-term perspective than other models of, of enterprise and the organization. And therefore, they can look at the investments that they make, uh, the uh, the way that they conduct their business in a more climate-friendly way. Uh, and there are also uh, parts of, uh, the let's say, the new economy where uh, cooperatives can take a leading role. For example, in the production of uh, renewable energy, in many countries in uh, all over the world, uh, but just to give a uh, concrete example, in Germany, uh, the majority of uh, uh, renewable energy is being produced by cooperatives hmm. because uh, the cooperative model is ideal t- uh, for these types of of energies that don't require a large concentration they don't require like a a, a plant or a huge industrial area to produce the the energy what they require is exactly several points where you can produce the energy and get them together and that's uh, ideal for a cooperative.
0: Rodrigo I thank you very much for coming here today for talking about these five areas in the last half a second what would you like to leave our readers with? What my listeners.
1: Um cooperatives are probably the most sustainable form of business in the world. And I, I I take the words of the Deputy Secretary General of the United Nations. He said cooperatives are the closest thing to the three words that start the UN declaration, which is we the peoples.
0: We the people. That's what's gonna end it for today. Thank you for listening to us. We the people can solve these problems or we the people can make them worse. Please join us next Thursday and live cooperatively. Thank you.